So, the question is, is why Ecclesiastes? Maybe some of you have seen on Facebook and on the, the Lighthouse Facebook site, uh, I posted this the other day, saying that this is what I wanted to share at the end of the year. And uh, I've entitled it, as you can see behind me, The World's Wisest Fool. And uh, the question is, why Ecclesiastes? I mean, when I've read Ecclesiastes, it's, it's quite a depressing book. And what happened was, I think it was about the 27th of December, I had this dream. And, uh, Lee, it's not working there. Yeah, <laughs> I had this dream. And uh, I dreamt about Ecclesiastes chapter 3, where it says, well, there's a time to live, a time to die, a time to laugh, a time to cry. All of these kind of a time to, there's a season for everything. God makes beautiful everything in His season and all those good things. And then it goes on and it says that, that God has put eternity in our hearts. And actually without God, this whole world is worth nothing. It's meaningless. So I start to read it. You know, part of my journey and part of, I guess, all of us have had that journey where we get to parts of our life and we go, what's the point? And so I started to just see these things. And I realized, too, that we live such a privileged life. Especially us in the northern suburbs of Johannesburg, we live a privileged life. And that leads us away from God. Mm. And in that privileged life, the amount of times that I've heard as a pastor when somebody says, if only this would change. If only I got a new car because the car is broken. If only I got a bigger house because we've got more kids and I need a bigger house. If only I did this. If only I got that. And people are chasing after things to make their lives better, to change things in their lives, to make their lives better. And it's never like that. You know, I believe this year God is asking us to deliberately focus on Him, to pursue Him. I saw this quote, and I don't know who said it, but prioritize your life or someone else will do it for you. And that's the thing is, is if we're not going to do that, then what we do is we land up just going with the flow, with what the world is saying, what, what is going on around us. And we create in our minds this better existence out there because if you look at, at Grant and, and I mean, like I, people are joking with him, well, he hasn't worked for six months and, oh, I wish I could be like Grant. Why don't you go speak to Grant? Because <laughs> maybe you, you wouldn't want to be where he is right now. Oh, I, I, want, I want to be like Gavin. I want to be a lumberjack. <laughs> or maybe you want to have the brains like... Karen, who can look at numbers and millions of brains and be able to put it all together and come up with the right answer. And when he makes a mistake, it's not five brains, it's like millions of brains. Why don't you go speak to him and find out what his life's like? Maybe you want to be a retiree and, and, and kind of be finished with work and it's toil. Why don't you go speak to those who are retired? And always, we look at those things, I want to be like that, I want to do this, I want that, because that's going to make my life better. And actually what we do is we, we realize that... <laughs> That thing over the rainbow and that pot of gold at the end of the rainbow is not necessarily there. And the problem with that kind of thinking is Ecclesiastes. Solomon, well, I'll get into the moment, who wrote Ecclesiastes, he's a man, guys, he had 700 wives. He had over 300 concubines. Every possible sexual fantasy that is known to man, he probably played out and experienced it. He built forests. He built his own home. It took him 14 years to build his own home with over 50,000 men. The temple took seven years. His home took 14. Can you imagine the size of this home? You go into the, 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 the book of Kings and you see the wealth that he had just in gold alone. 
millions and millions and billions of rands worth or dollars worth of stuff. He had parties where there were 20,000 people at a time and he fed. He traveled, he did all of those things and yet he gets to the end of his life and he says it was all meaningless. So we can say we want this, we want this, if only I had this, if only I had that, guess what? You are chasing after the wind and when you get there, there's no substance to it. That's why Ecclesiastes just blows a hole in our whole process around that. And then thirdly, we live in such a hedonistic world. Now that, that's a big word. What does hedonistic mean? What, it means this pleasure-seeking, self-indulgent world. Because we're going from one pleasure-seeking thing to another. Whether it's sex, whether it's sporting events, whether it's um, exercise, whether it's this, whether it's that. We're all looking to find this pleasure because we get this momentary kind of escape from the afflictions that we find in this world and from ourselves. The title Ecclesiastes is actually a Greek word that indicates a person who calls an assembly. And so what this book is about is, yes, written thousands and thousands of years ago, but what it is, it's Solomon writing and saying, come. It's like the grandfather. Many of you have had, I'm pretty sure, some great grandfathers. And it's like he knows he's coming to the end of his life, and he says, come here, Gary. I want you to come and have a cup of coffee and some cake with me. And I walk into his home, and I sit down, and he brews the coffee, and he starts to unpack all of where he's made the mistakes. But I'm going to make the same mistake myself. And so let's start with Ecclesiastes chapter 1, where it says, The words of the teacher, son of David, king in Jerusalem. Now the big thing about this is the only debate is whether or not Solomon actually wrote the book of Ecclesiastes. Because if you read Ecclesiastes and you read that verse, it's kind of in third person, isn't it? And if you go to the end of Ecclesiastes, you see it goes back to the third person. So maybe somebody else penned it, but the teacher is unequivocally Solomon. How do I know that? Well, when we look at the, the different views of, of what's happening here, it's kind of like when you when someone calls you on your phone and you've got your caller ID. I know, okay, it's Louise, because it's on my phone. In the same way, what happens here is he's a teacher and preacher. He's the son of David and king in Jerusalem. He was the only king that ruled from Jerusalem. Or the only son of David who ruled from Jerusalem at the time. He was somebody who, in verse 16, says, increased in wisdom in the book. And we know that Solomon was the wisest man that ever lived. One king says that God gave Solomon wisdom and understanding beyond measure. And breadth of the mind like the sand of the seashore. So that Solomon's wisdom surpassed the wisdoms of all the people of the East and all the wisdom of Egypt. For he was wiser than any other man. So he asked for wisdom and it tells us in the book that he was the wisest man that ever lived. In 12 verse 19 it says he collected many proverbs. We know that Solomon wrote most of the, the book of Proverbs. And so what we understand here is that this man, Solomon, whether or not somebody is writing about his teachings, this is Solomon's ideas, this is Solomon's musings, this is Solomon's kind of unpacking of his life. It's almost like this person was the grandson of Solomon who sat and listened to what Solomon said and then penned it because he wanted his not that day. He's saying to us, 2,000 years, 3,000 years later, come, sit down, I want to speak to you all. So the leader of 2017, that's what I want to do. I want to sit before Solomon, our great-grandfather, and let him hear, let him speak the wisdoms that he needs to speak to us for this year. So more than likely, Solomon died in 931 BC. And so more than likely, this was penned in about 935 BC. 
And so we understand that through what Solomon wants to tell us is that he's, he's kind of thrashing around this fleeting life that he's lived. And yet, the about Ecclesiastes is it's a, it's a different type of book because it talks about the meaning of life. And many of us ask that question. But he starts off by saying, verse 2, meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. Okay, so Solomon, please, can I ask you this question? Is my marriage meaningless? Yes. Is pleasure meaningless? Yes. Is wealth meaningless? Yes. Okay, so everything is meaningless. All right. You know he used this word 38 times in the whole chapter. 38 times. And this word is called hebel, which really is a difficult word to nail down. You know, there's words in our English language where it kind of could mean this or kind of could mean this, but really what it does mean is a mist or a vapor. And we all know that if you look at a, a, a mist or a vapor on a cold uh, Johannesburg morning, you breathe out and this mist comes and you try and it's gone. And he's saying life is meaningless. And I know, I'm trusting that so you stay here. I know some people said they need to leave early, but I think some people may leave earlier because they're going, well, actually, Gary, we came to just point to be encouraged and we kind of started to slip our wrist with a bus ticket, as Richard often says. But it's just fleeting. Life is fleeting. You're born and then you die. Let me say this to, to, to moms and dads and young children. Blink it wasn't long ago that I held to open in my arms. Yeah. He's taller than you now. And people say to you, enjoy your kids. Enjoy the moments. Because what you want is, you want them to get out of nappies, so you don't have to change the nappy. You, you want them to walk, and then you want them to do this, and then you want them to do that, and then you want them to do that, and before you know it, they're gone. And we, we slowly don't stop to enjoy those moments. Yes, of course there's difficult moments in that process. And, and there's fearful moments when your child falls and breaks something and hurts something and all of those kind of things, but it's moments we miss because Many of you are getting older and older and experiencing more life. And we understand that life is complicated. It's not this linear progression. It's not a math equation. Where when you take something over the equal sign, it all works out. And what we try to do is we try to compartmentalize our lives. And especially you women, you want to put them into these pretty little boxes and put them on the shelves. And when you do that, you find out that you just get frustrated. Because life doesn't work that way. So the crazy thing about... Ecclesiastes, it's, it's like this rambling of this man who's just telling us that life is meaningless and what's the point of it. And it's all over the place. You try and kind of work out. You know, most books have this kind of start and middle and finish. He's all over the place. Talking about wisdom here, talking about toil here, talking about wealth here, talking about this here. And you kind of can't figure out where he's going in the book. But I think it's quite an apt way because our lives are like that, aren't they? <laughs> One minute we understand and we think we've got a hold of it and then you... The rules just change. We ask ourselves three questions. In some form or another, every human being will ask this question, where do I come from? Where's my origin? The Bible tells us in Genesis where we come from. And then we always ask, where are we going? Where, when I pass from this world, when I breathe my last breath, where am I going? Well, Revelation tells us. But the book of Ecclesiastes says what happens in the world. What is meaningful in the middle? And we're going to get to that because we reframe this origin, destiny, and kind of say, okay, what is the purpose and meaning of our lives? And the question is, is or the answer to that question often 
is determined by what we believe. If you're an atheist, you believe that you emerged from some amoeba. And then people who don't believe that their God exists. So what they believe is that, oh, well, with evolution, if you go back, there was an amoeba that kind of just, you were this, if you know what amoeba is, it's kind of like a fried egg that's been squashed. That's what you are. And all you're going to do is you're going to live this life out. What's the point? Hey, drink, eat, be merry, because tomorrow you die, and that's it. You're gone. Or maybe you have this kind of pantheistic kind of view where you used to you actually had previous lives. You're now back and there's a purpose for you in this life, but you have no idea what it is. You have no idea what you did wrong in the previous life, but now you're going on to this life because you've got to live out this life in order to attain the next level of the bondage. What do you believe in this amazing God that created you for a purpose? It has a destiny and has eternity. And we'll see in chapter 3 it talks about God has put eternity in our hearts. And I don't want to go into that, but the reality is, is there's something in our heart that is edged open that you can try and satisfy every longing in your heart. There's only one way to be satisfied. So Ecclesiastes 1 verse 3 says, okay, now this is where it gets, starts to go downhill very fast. I mean, we're really on the way down. Everything's meaningless. What do people gain from their labors? At which they toil under the sun. Remember that phrase, under the sun, is mentioned many times in this book. Generations come, and generations go. The earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun sets and hurries back to where it rises. The wind blows to the south, and then it turns to the north. Round and round it goes, ever returning on its course. All streams flow down to the sea, yet the sea is never full. To the place where the streams come from, there they return. Now, if we're all very honest, we are chronological snobs. We think, and it's a C.S. Lewis term, we all think that the people who lived 2,000 years ago were primitive, uneducated, and had no idea about it. Don't we? I mean, for goodness sake, they lived in the desert. <laughs> what could they know about life? Yet, Let's just stop for a moment. The man who's writing this book had more education than probably every single person in this room. Had the wisdom of God beyond measure across the wise men of Egypt and on the East. <laughs> and he's the one who's written this. So we're not talking about people who are silly, but we think that of every single generation, we're going to advance ma- mankind. We're going to take steps forward. And the problem is, is that it's kind of a foolish thing because it's, it's not about the thing we think. We think that we confuse movement with advancement. And we think that every single generation takes mankind a step further, but actually what it is is we're all driving around the same cul-de-sac, worshipping the same idols. And intrinsically nothing ever changes. It's the same thing. We may have buildings with bricks as opposed to tents. But nothing ever changes because this is what he's saying. Everything returns to where it is. The earth stays the same, and every generation thinks they can change the world. But they're just doing the same thing that the previous generation did. We're trying to outdo our neighbors, and you'll see it later on in the, in the text. Yeah, she says, we try outdo our neighbors with wealth, with money, with sex, with power, with information, with fame. And like I said, we mistake that movement for advancement. Nothing has changed. And what he's saying is, is that with all that we do, all that we say, 
We're not different from the previous generations, and the earth intrinsically does not change and remains unchanged. Have you ever, how many of you have run on a treadmill? We say, who hasn't run on a treadmill? Michelle Ring, never. Because I'm going to trip from four. <laughs> <laughs> Funny shame. Where's my body I need the body to show the. She's got a nice looking box that she's done works. Folks, you better run on the treadmill. and the harder we breathe at different times. Maybe we just walk in. And I think if we're all honest, our lives are more like the groundhog day than we would like to admit. Not about yours, but mine's like it. And yes, we do need structure in our lives, but the fact is, is I know, put it past five, I get up in the morning. I go and I have a shower, I get stuff ready. We leave at quarter past six, take the kids to school to miss the traffic because I take traffic demons and I have to watch that they don't come up. So I leave before those things can possibly come into play. I go off to the Virgin Active Gym at Randburg and I swim. I swim for an hour, I get out. I go to work, I get to work between 8 and 8.30. I sit and I work until about 11.30, 12. The company I work for gives me a nice lunch. I have lunch, I go back and I work. And it gets to about 4, 5 o'clock and then I realize, oh, my kids are swimming in Kura just down the road and I go and I pick them up from Kura and bring them home. And then I get home and I either have a meeting in the context of the church or have some work to do or I watch something on TV. And then I go to bed, get up at 5.15 in the morning and I repeat the process. Who doesn't have a life like this? And we sit here and we go, I wonder why we're feeling kind of purposeless and why life just seems to have very little meaning in life. And so what we then do is we, we kind of, as I said right in the beginning, we chased after these mirages that the world places. Well, if you get this, and not only will you get this, but you will also get this. And if you go here, if you get this holiday, if you go overseas and you find a plane, and if you go um, and you experience this, and you go and watch the Springboks play all black, so that's probably not pleasurable. But the point mm-hmm. that I'm trying to make is you, we, we medicate ourselves with all that's going around us. And it's the chasing after the wind. It's the meaningless. It's the mirage that we think is there. And when we finally get there, there's nothing to it. There's no substance. There's no water to quench our thirst. Okay, so, wow. There's a bit of a pessimistic view right now. And I understand that the, the risks are starting to be slit. Because why? It's like just this meaningless false parade that in a moment we step off the cliff and that's it. Lights up. Camera, action, finish. And as you start to slit your wrist, unfortunately, there's more. Verse 8 says, all things are wearisome. More than one can say. The eye never has enough of seeing, nor the ear has enough of hearing. What is being will be again. What has been done will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which one can say, look, it's something new. It was there already, long ago. It was there before time. 
No one remembers the former generations, and even those yet to come will not be remembered by those who follow them. So this is the thing. He's telling us that we chase after things, we medicate ourselves with the, the latest gadgets, or the new clothes, or the new house, or the new car, and in some cases, the new spouse. Because if I change my wife or my husband, life's going to be better. Because she's my problem. If, if I didn't have her in my life, my life would be a lot better. Or he's the problem, so let me get up because... He's causing the, the problems in my life. Let me get something new. And what's all they say, no, no, there's nothing new under the sun. What I've noticed is often people change, change jobs for the wrong reasons. Not because there's a, there's a vision in their heart to achieve something, but because, oh, I don't like this job, I don't like my boss, so let me move. Let me find something different. Let me change the circumstance. Or even this one, let me change my church community because if I change my church community, my spirituality will change. Now sure, if the person is preaching absolute rubbish and, and there's no point to the community and there's nothing going on in the community, they go, absolutely. But people leave a community because they think that by doing that, their spirituality is going to change. So they're going to get closer to God and they find themselves. But the problem is, is <laughs> wherever you go, there you are. And so what happens is we change all of these things thinking that we're going to change, but nothing changes us inside. And we find that's what Solomon's trying to tell us. You know, it's amazing with all the new cell phone gadgets and everything else. And you notice when someone's got a new cell phone. You're standing up, standing in a, like a circle there while having coffee, and you put up. Oh, it's a new cell phone. Oh, yeah, no, it is. It's a new iPhone. Yeah, well, how's it going? And the thing is, is that we do find pleasure. It may be temporary, but we do find pleasure in the new thing. the new clothes. Bought myself a nice new shirt over the weekend. Not this one, another one. And it's nice. You put it on and it's got that nice feel to it. And so we enjoy that, but it's temporary. It's fleeting. Mm-hmm. A couple of months later, that new shirt's not so lacquer. That new cell phone is not so lacquer because now your wife's got the new one. <laughs> so now you don't pull it out anymore because it's old. And you wait for your upgrade to get the new one. Nothing's changed, is what Solomon's saying. We want the new things. Our kids are like that. In this millennialistic environment that we find ourselves, our kids are just wanting the new thing after the new thing after the new thing. PlayStation games. The new one. The new Call of Duty. The new Battlefield. The new Destiny. If you're not there yet as parents, understand this is coming your way. If you've got a son, that is. I'm not sure about the daughters. Here's the thing. After all of that, guess what? No matter how great a job you've done, no one's going to remember you anyway. Who can remember their great 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 grandfather's name? Seriously. One, two. I'm talking great 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 grandfather, eh? Can you remember the name? Two. How about your great 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 grandfather? How about this for some sporting trivia? Who won the Curry Cup five years ago? Maybe one or two of you will know? We, we watch a, let's say a Curry Cup final, and maybe some of you want that way to find it. We watch the final, and we go, yes, our team won, and five or ten years later, we can't even remember whether they won that game. And you remember back in the 90s when the Sharks won for the first time? Yes. <laughs> you remember the World Cup rugby in 1995? And so those kind of things, that which are, which are, that there's a small amount of them we can remember, but I don't know my great, great grandfather's name. It's forgotten. You and I will be forgotten. No matter what legacy we put in play. 
And unless you are a really bad person like Adolf Hitler, you will be taken out the annual of history forever. No one will even remember you. And Solomon is telling us this. So we go, okay, wow, thanks Solomon. I'm feeling really encouraged for this year. And he finishes with a flourish. Verse 12. I, the teacher, was king over Israel and Jerusalem. I applied my mind to study, to explore by wisdom all that is done under the heavens. What a heavy burden God has placed on mankind. I have seen all things that are done under the sun. All of them are meaningless and are chasing after the wind. What's crooked cannot be straightened. What is lacking cannot be counted. I said to myself, look, I have increased in wisdom more than anybody else who has ruled in Jerusalem before me. I have experienced much wisdom and knowledge. Then I applied myself to understanding of wisdom and also of the madness and folly. But I learned that this too is a chasing after the wind. With much wisdom comes much sorrow. With much knowledge comes much grief. Okay, so, the wisest man that's ever lived, I follow Jesus, accumulates all this knowledge and wisdom and says all it brought him was sorrow and grief. It's all meaningless. So that's one note to those who are not too clever. That was a joke, that. <laughs> Can you see what this man is saying? He's basically telling us that this is all of it is a chasing after the wind. How many of you have caught the wind? How many of you have got to a place where you think you've got it? You get into a whirlwind and you, you try and grab it and it's, it's, it's fleeting. It's, it's no substance. Now, as I said, if you're still listening, thank goodness you're all still here and nobody's left. But what he's trying to tell us is something's missing. With all of what he's experienced, with all of what he's gone through in life, there's something that is missing in mankind. There's an emptiness, there's an insatiable hunger that, that, that just won't relent. And no matter what he does, no matter how many parties he has, no matter how much alcohol he drinks, no matter how many women he's been with, he's saying it's all meaningless, it's empty, I grab at it and it's like vapor and it disappears. Every single one of us needs some hope. <laughs> Not about you, but I do. Otherwise, if this is just a fool's parade that I just step off the cliff, what's the point? I, mean, I was chatting with Paul earlier last night, and we heard about Wayne Weston. I mean, what? Now, I kind of shut down the video in the last two weeks, so I've been looking at the news. But if you know who he is, a great golfer who breaks into his wife's home and shoots himself, and cheers. Just go to Hollywood. I have to go far. An amazingly successful man, Mark Gibson, does the passion of the Christ, and then falls off the wagon like you've never known before. I need coming back now. What about Owen Wilson? You know the guy with the funny nose? <laughs> Trying to commit suicide two years ago. What about Kurt Cobain, who successfully yeah. I mean, we could go on and on and on. These are successful people in the eyes of the world with much money who are experiencing more than... They are on yachts in, in, in Monaco. They are doing amazing things all over the world. Big concerts and people want to be their friends and they are famous and money, sex and power are all theirs and yet what... Do they do? They take their lives because everything is meaningless. So where do we go with this? It's important first of all, before I come to an end, this I've mentioned these three places in verse three, verse nine, and verse fourteen that says under the sun. What does that under the sun mean? Well, under the sun means that it's a life viewed solely without a connection with God. It's living on this earth without understanding or have a revelation of who God is. 
It's living your life out without connecting with God, without any form of understanding of His leading or His input into your life. And you live your life out based on experiences, about what you experience, what your pleasures are, and what you want. And ultimately, we've seen it, it comes down to a life of meaningless. Some of you enjoy Star Wars and Star Trek. Remember, Star Trek's caption is, is going where no man has gone before. Well, Solomon went every single place that any man could ever go, and he gets to the end of it and he says it's meaningless. So we need somebody beyond the sun to come in and break in our lives to give us hope, don't we? Because if there's nothing under the sun that gives us any kind of understanding or meaningfulness in this life, we need somebody to break in beyond the sun to come in and possibly he'll invite us into his home to spend eternity with him. Possibly he will reward us for these seemingly meaningless toils and labor that we do here on earth and give us meaning to our lives. And the amazing thing is there is someone like that, isn't there? His name is Jesus. And Jesus says in John chapter 10, verse 10, He says, I've come to give you life and life to the full. I've come to give you life and life in abundance. What He's saying to us, because in chapter 2 and verse 24, He says, all of this is meaningless if lived outside of the life of God. So if you're an atheist and you're living from an amoeba to another amoeba, or dust to dust, well, that's it. But what Christ does is He brings us meaning. So when it comes to money, when we come to Christ and we understand that we're in Him, purpose and meaning to money comes into play. That it's not about me trying to get into a social status. It's not about me accumulating wealth. But actually money becomes a means to an end and no longer masters me. And I can give it away or I can use it to build an decent home. Either way, it doesn't matter. What is God leading? What is God saying? And the meaning of that home. The Morgans are, are an amazing example of that. They built this magnificent home. That actually most of our meetings as a community, from our leaders to whatever, happens in their home. And they are the amazing hospitable, hospitable couple. Now people might have gone, why are you building this home like this? I knew from the beginning, they said, God said, we must build this because it's going to be for the kingdom. And they have used it, and many of us have been in that home. Maybe God's given you what other people in this church, you are wealthy men and women who give. Why? Because God has said, I've given you this wealth, not from your own. I've given it to you. I've given you the ability to produce it. And you've given it into my kingdom. No longer masters it. Sexuality. This, this, I don't know if you've seen this character here. Have you seen the new images for the new sex photo that's coming this year? They're not only doing one this year, they're doing two. But have you seen the images that they're going to be putting up on Google that our kids are going to see? I actually don't know how, they're going to, how they've got them past the century. Our kids, all of us, are bombarded with the sexuality thing. And everyone's wanting to achieve this other sexuality thing. And the pornography takes us to a place which not only um, is the foundation and the funding of the sex trade, but it takes family and friends and puts them into an addiction that they think that that's what sexuality is like. Lack of intimacy. And so we all think, well, Solomon had 700 wives and 300 concubines, but we have our own 700 wives and 300 concubines in our mental horror, don't we? And we think that that satisfies, and we know that every single man here who has a challenge and an addiction to pornography, that is insatiable. And it's a law of diminishing returns. The more you go to it, the more you want, but the less it satisfies. And then it lands up with crazy stuff. So what I'm saying is, without God, all of this is meaningless. Meaningless, meaningless. But Jesus says, you may be living, but when you come to me, when, 
you're not really, you're existing. But when you come to me, you have life and life to the abundance. You know, the Wright brothers, can you imagine, when the Wright brothers were the first ones to fly an aeroplane, can you imagine that God kind of says, hey, go back and have a look and see what's happening. And they come back to earth, and aeroplanes are only driving on the ground. Ladies and gentlemen, you and I were meant to fly. You and I were given the fullness of life through Jesus. Because of what Jesus has done, this under the sun is no longer meaningless. It's meaningful because every aspect of our lives is given meaning because of what He has done. And when we find ourselves in Him, He gives us purpose and He gives us direction and He gives us meaning to our lives. And even a brother Lawrence who's peeling potatoes practices the presence of God and does it with meaningfulness and performance. What are you doing in your job? With that boss that keeps shouting at you and that's not working. What are you doing as a husband and as a wife? We've got a marriage course to come and help you do this. What are you doing in your life when you're schooling and all of those kind of things? Is it just, oh, I have to go and do that? Or is it, well, okay, yeah. Kids, those who are old, finish school. Why? Because that's what life entails. Is it all enjoyable? No, but you have some amazing pastor. Your friends. You don't have to go to work and earn money to make a living. Your parents pay for you and for your laundry. The amazing thing about the book of Ecclesiastes is God is largely absent from the book. Jesus is absent from the book. Seemingly. He's not this portrait. There's no messianic predictions. There's no kind of big thing around who Jesus is. And what he is, instead of a portrait, is a silhouette in his book. And it's apt because life without Jesus is meaningless. But when we fill that space with who Jesus is, everything becomes meaningful. Even the most mundane thing. But in filling your car at the petrol station and smiling at the petrol can and giving them a decent tip. Meaningful. Going to the checkout through checkers and engaging the person behind the till. Meaningful. Going to work and praying for somebody who's sick. Meaningful. Why? Because Christ is the hope and glory that's inside of us, that He has created. And even though there's a silhouette around this thing, there's a message of Jesus in all of us. In chapter 12, verse 10, it says, these are the words of truth. In chapter 12, verse 11, it says, this is from the one shepherd. And Christ called Himself the truth. John chapter 14. He is the good shepherd, John chapter 10. And He is the one greater than Solomon who has come to give us and to show us true meaning in life. And so what happens here is Solomon concludes that without Jesus, your life is pointless. And so as we hit 2017, as we go into it, can I urge you, can I encourage you, practice the presence of God, be aware of His presence, and even the most mundane thing, because it will bring it meaning. It will bring alive what God has for you. You know, it's a lifestyle. It's not just, oh, I've got saved, let me repent, and I'm done, great. No. When you're parents, when you discipline your kids, do it with meaning. Oh, my kid needs a discipline and snacks. Wham! Okay, chips. No, what, why are you disciplining? Because there's meaning. Because discipline, it says in the scriptures, is not to do with punishment, but for correction. Why? Because my kids got a destiny, and I want to see them attain it. So, I trust that most of you can break it to us. Do you know what? Some of you may have fucking. <laughs> Someone used to say, Cookie Pucker Wee Wee. 
Will people say to me, Gary, I trusted you in an amazing year. I'm going, well, you know what? Attitude. And I'm trusting that for life, for me, we get onto our land, all of those good things. But part of why I'm doing Ecclesiastes was, end of December, I started to get anxious. I'm like, okay, God, I'm looking at the bank accounts, and I'm going, this is not possible. But yes, God's the part of the impossible. And God says to me, Gary, what happens if you as Lifehouse never get onto your land? What is that going to do in your heart towards me? You're right, Lord. So all of what goes down, whether I have a good year, and I'm trusting for a good year, and I'm trusting for a good year for you, but you know what? One phone call can change that. Or I have this cup of coffee with me here. What am I going to do? In both of them, I want God's presence. I want to be aware of His presence, whether I'm going through the storm, whether I'm wading through the proverbial, whether I'm doing all of those things. If God is present, I know it's people. I know He's building something in me. If the enemy's coming against me, and he's, he's trying to sip me like wheat, like Peter. And there will be that for each one of us this year. No, right, it's here. It's in me. Here it's in the world. Father, won't you take this from me? No, rather your will, but mine. But rather... Your will be done, not mine. Okay, God, take me into what you have for me. Why? Because I've got a destiny. Why? Because He's put eternity on my heart and my lips. And because why? Because Christ, in us, the hope of glory, the one who came to give us life and life. So, ladies and gents, as I finish off this morning, you are built to fly. Let's not be found by the right brothers driving our airplanes on the floor. This year, let's pursue God like nothing else. This community. I believe it's going to go from strength to strength. Not because of me, but you know why? Because as a leadership, we are going to focus on hope. The rest is challenging. Just pursue God every aspect of our lives because He is the fullness of life. Amen.